0: Holy Spirit, come among us as we look at this passage this day. We love you, Lord, for you are the God of grace and truth among us, this your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak through my lips with great clarity, with such grace and truth, that you would think our thoughts, and that we would bend our wills to yours, and we would walk in the reality of who you are in our lives, Lord, as we seek your blessing in it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned at the welcome, we're wrapping up our series on Isaac. Next week, we're going to return to the lectionary for the rest of the summer. We're going to be going through Matthew's gospel as God's people in the kingdom on mission together as we look at Jesus and his disciples on mission. And so today, we're going to finish up our series on Isaac, focusing on this text. And we'll come back to Genesis and Jacob the Deceiver next year sometime. And we're going to focus on the word blessing. For what do we mean when we say, God bless you? You know, we we use that word a lot. I know what I mean when I say, God bless you. For when I say it, I typically mean, I pray, God, you know the Lord fully. That you know him and experience him and that he protects you and keeps you and you walk in the fullness of God. And, you know... I know what I mean when I say I'm so blessed. Often, we Americans, we think, well, you know, materially. We're a blessed country, right? We are. But is that all there is? You know, I, I spent some time in the Deep South as a child and in professional ministry. When someone says, bless your heart, that's not a compliment. <laughs> that translates, you, 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 you blew it, and you don't get it, and quite frankly, you suck. Mm-hmm. Nice try. So I must tell you, before we even begin our time together, our English rendering of this word is so shallow and so wimpy that we really can't understand what's going on in this passage until we get a thorough understanding of biblical blessing. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis 2017:27. 20, We're just going to focus on verses 18 through 34, which that's what we've printed in the back of the bulletin for you first-time visitors. And as you're, turning, I, as you're turning, I know what you're thinking. Madge, that's a long passage. I'm going to be here forever. Relax. Here's what this passage teaches us. Number one, the power of blessing. Number two, why we all need blessing. Number three, how we all try to get blessing and it never works. And four, how we can get true blessing. That's what we're going to learn today. Because it's there in the passage. Okay. Number one, the power of blessing. Two, why we all need blessing. Three, how we try to get blessing and it never works. And four, how can we receive blessing? So let's look at how, number one, the power of blessing. Jacob is now old. His eyes are dim. He knows his days are numbered. So he calls Esau to himself. And the first thing we need to notice about this blessing is that These people thought that it could be stolen. Rebecca and Jacob thought they could steal it. It's also amazing that Isaac and Esau felt that it was stolen. And we think, why are you so upset? You know, if it was me, I'd take it back. You know, if it was one of my sons, I'd call him back in here and say, you scumbag, rotten, dirty, scoundrel, deceiving son. I didn't mean a word of it. You know, I take it all back. I'm going to give it to Esau. But it's clear they don't feel that it can be taken back. Why? Why is this thing so powerful? And what is it? Is it a last will and testament? Well, there's some of that in there. Look at verse 29. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. That's like a will, you know, an inheritance. You can say, I give you the rights to be the head of the family, that sort of thing. But what about this other stuff? Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and of plenty of grain and wine. So therefore, you're thinking, well, there before he's just praying prosperity on Jacob. But if you go on to verse 37, and Esau says, Bless me too, Father. See what Isaac says? I I, I can't. I already gave it to Jacob, your brother. I've already given him wine and grain. I've already given him a successful life. How can Isaac do that? For we 21st century people think, well, these are just primitive people. And they just believe their words have some kind of magical incantation. Absolutely not. For what the ancients understood were the power of words. A Hebrew scholar says of this passage that this narrative presumes that symbolic actions have genuine abiding power and that spoken words, especially of a parent to a child, Shape our lives. Words here are not a matter of indifference, which may be attended to or not, as is convenient. Let me put it this way. You know that old rhyme we said when we were kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. If I could reshape it along biblical lines, I would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my spirit and my soul. Don't you know that offhanded comments that have been made to you over the years are still with you, either in words of affirmation or blessing or words of condemnation, criticism, or cursing. They've moved into your life, and they're still there. They're operating with power, and you know that. They're programming your self-worth or your lack thereof For deep down, we all know that words matter, and words have power to them. They become part of you and shape who you are. And the ancients knew that. And how much more powerful in this scenario where there's an end-of-life deathbed blessing going on. For the fact of the matter is, in the biblical sense, blessing is two things. One It's an actual spiritual discernment of what this person is in the Lord, their giftings and the blessings that they are to others, and two, it's a future pronouncement of what the blesser hopes that person will walk into God, who God wants them to be. And if you've ever been blessed this way, you never forget it. If you've ever had somebody make use of the spiritual discerning power that they have in your life. They recognize your giftings. They recognize all your positive qualities and even your negatives. And they speak loving truth into you, calling you to walk in that. You don't ever forget that. And Isaac realized what he did had power of his own. And he thought he was affirming Esau, but he was affirming Jacob. Making him somebody, or helping him to become the person God called him to be. That's the power of blessing. And two, we deeply all need this. Why? Because our lives are distorted without it. And without such blessing, we're going to wrestle forever. And next year when we return to Jacob, guess what he does? All right. The most famous chapter about Jacob in Genesis is when he's doing what? Wrestling with what he thinks is some kind of you know person and realize this isn't just a person I'm wrestling with. And what's he asking ultimately God to do? Bless me! Oh, wait a second, he's getting blessed here, right? Not quite. That's exactly what happens. You know, the poignancy of this passage, in a very, very beginning of the passage, when Isaac hears Jacob come and says to him, Who are you? He's probably a little senile. You know, he can't even, he feels the back of his neck, and he can't tell the difference between a hairy neck and goat skins. Okay? I mean... He's a little surprised, because he just sent Esau out, and here he is. It's a poignant passage, and he says, who are you? And Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Later down in verse 32, Isaac asks the real Esau, who are you? All the commentators point this out. He says, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Jacob, what he really wanted, and in this culture it meant everything in the world, was to be the firstborn. And in this patriarchal society, which the Bible never condones, by the way, ever does it condone this type of parenting, the oldest son, not the other sons, not the daughters, nobody else was the one who would get the lion's share of the wealth and the inheritance. So as a result... The ancient fathers would dote on the firstborn son. Would, because the future of his name and the future of his family was all tied up in the firstborn. Therefore, everybody else got ignored. Often. All the daughters were ignored by comparison. And quite frankly, so were the sons. And God never approves of it. And we know this because we're told in Genesis 25, a few weeks back, we heard this read... The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau was a strapping guy who was skilled with firearms and weapons, and Isaac loved that. Maybe he wanted to be like that himself. Esau himself. In Esau, you know, Jacob wasn't like that. He, he wasn't a man's man. He, he couldn't grow a beard very well. He was probably smaller and couldn't bench press his weight. And so he stayed with his mom in the tents. So Isaac, over the years, doted on Esau. Rebekah doted on Jacob. And Isaac gave Esau the informal blessing of the firstborn. What's that? Well, the the blessing of the firstborn is to have the most powerful person in the family, the father, looking at you and saying, you're so special. I'm particularly fond of you. I love you more than anybody. You're uniquely valuable to me. So why is Jacob exploiting his elderly father in a cold, calculating way? He's saying, I should be treated like that. I should be the firstborn. I should be doted on. I could be the head of the family. I can do this job. Not this impetuous, shallow, temperamental meathead of a brother of mine. I'm the one you should be loving all these years. Give me the blessing. And what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is a picture of every single one of us in this room. Even though Isaac gave favoritism to one kid over the other, it hurt everybody. It poisoned the family relationships. Look at Joel is Jacob is cold and calculating and deceitful. Rebecca, you know is encouraging that. Esau, from what we can tell, in all the narratives about Esau henceforth, he's the more likable guy, really, but he's impetuous, he's shallow, he's temperamental, and worst of all, he's spoiled. Isaac has been poisoning his kids by giving the firstborn blessing informally to Esau his entire life. And now, he's going to give it to him formally. And you know what? We don't want to be a line of clones having general love from general people. We want uniquely valuable people in our lives. We want people or persons that we most admire in this world to look at us and say, there's nobody like you. You're special. You're unique. I'm particularly fond of you. And that's what Jacob wanted. And you can't bless yourself, by the way. You can go to YouTube and subscribe to self-help channels. They're there. You can watch infomercials. They're there. You can read self-help books. They're there. And you can say, they all say to you, you don't need to take value from anybody else. You decide what you like to be yourself. Your self-worth should come from you. Forget about it. It doesn't work. That's why we live in the church, in community. We need one another. And we personally need people to come into our lives and bless us. You know, if, if you're not very smart, you know, everybody in the world thinks I'm stupid, but that doesn't matter. I know I'm smart. It doesn't work. You need a smart person to come along and say to you, you can do that math. You are smart. You have to have a good person tell you you're good to feel good. In other words, you have to have blessing from the outside. And we need people like that in our lives. To come to us and say, there's no one like you. I'm especially fond of you. That's the blessing of the firstborn. That's what came to them in that patriarchal and hierarchical society and the way they did it, particularly in this scene, creates a train wreck and a totally dysfunctional family, and that's what we've seen. But yet, we understand the power of it, and we all deeply need it, so how do we try to get it? Uh, Just like Jacob, we dress up like somebody else and pretend to be somebody else else. In order to get it. He dresses up like Esau. He gets hairy like Esau. I'm sure his clothes were too big, you know, didn't fit. He came in and probably tried to lower his voice like, you know, Esau, because Esau was burly and spoke like this. Not like this. It didn't work. Isaac is blind and says, you know, you smell like Esau, you taste like Esau, you look, you feel like Esau, but there's something about that voice. To get blessing, he couldn't be himself. His Jacob self hadn't worked. He was too small, he was too domestic, he was too smooth, and he couldn't get the blessing. He didn't get what he most wanted from his father if he was himself. And I would suggest we all do that. How do you get blessing out of others? How do you get the things that you really need? I'll tell you, you're not letting people see who you really are. You're not letting them see your flaws, your fears, your weaknesses, i got to tell you, man, that is an unsatisfying way to live your life. For example, some of you might have jobs you really hate. It's not the job you really want. It doesn't really fit your gifts or passions. It's really not who you are. But you took it for the status that it would give you because your parents told you you had to have that status. So that the world would bless you. So you dressed up like somebody else. You up as somebody who makes a lot more money. Someone you're actually not when you would really love to do something else in your giftings that really doesn't make that much money. I'll give you another example, especially you young people. Some of you in your relationships, you see a beautiful person and you think, man, that person loved me. boy, then I really would be blessed if that person would love me. Finally, someone who's beautiful that I'm attracted to looks at me and says, I like you. Oh, if I just had that. What are you doing when you're doing that? You're dressing up like somebody else. You're putting a lot of time into your appearance. A whole lot of time maybe putting forth a persona that's not really you at all. Some of you are trying to be somebody your parents want you to be just because you cannot stand the idea of not having your parents' approval. Some of you say, not me. My parents want me to be this and this, and I hate that, so I've rejected that, and they've rejected me. I'm mad about it, but it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what they think. Well, if that's true, why are you so mad? In other words, the fact is the lack of blessing from your parents or the lack of blessing from others. You can't be yourself and feel blessed, and that's exactly what each and every one of us do. We dress up because we want the blessing of other people to hear them say, You're awesome. You're so great. And I think one of the saddest places in this passage is where Isaac says, Kiss me, my son. It's the climax here. Because what he's doing, he wants to make sure. He feels like him. Doesn't sound like him. But you know, if I smell him, then I'll know for sure. And look at verse 27. So Jacob came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And Isaac blessed him and said, Ah, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Jacob had Esau's clothes on and the clothes smelled the outdoors and immediately that smell evokes the sight that he doesn't have anymore of Esau. His strapping, arrow-shooting, bullseye-targeting son. He's thinking about this and he says, Ah, the Lord has blessed and he will bless you and so on and so on and so on. And at that moment, Jacob finally got the look of his father that he had never got ever before. That radiant, loving, joyful look. And he heard from Isaac's lips what he always wanted to hear. Do you think it helped? Nope. Did you think it changed him? Nope. This blessing sat inert, inert. Jacob's life didn't change him because he knew it wasn't him who Isaac was truly blessing it must have been incredibly bitter to get that close to finally getting your father to love you but it's not you because you've dressed up to play somebody else and therefore you're not really blessed When you have to put on the show and hide who you are, all the compliments in the world are not going to sink in and fill up that vacuum. They won't. And therefore, we have a dysfunctional family. that's just an absolute train wreck. So what do we do? How do we find our blessing? Well, Esau, as we see, becomes so bitter when he sees what Jacob has done. He says, all right, I'm just biding my time. He's going to get his. And so, his life from that henceforth is is filled, just distorted with anger. Rebekah sends Jacob away for his life and uses the excuse of these. Now, it was a bad decision for Esau to marry women outside the covenant, by the way. It's a bad idea to marry anybody outside the covenant of God. And she uses that as the excuse. But she loses the one person in the family that she has a relationship with, and he never sees her alive again. And Jacob? Well, he's just been made head of the family, right? Well, how can he be head of the family if you're not there? He's away from his family, he's family less, and he's penniless. Will he ever be able to come back again? Not as long as Esau is alive. He's not. So what's the moral of the story? You could boil this down, and a lot of preachers do. You know, one of the morals of the story is, parents, you got to be better than this. (laughs) All right? There's no doubt there's lessons for parenting and families here. You know, but... People about, you know they boil this down to make sure you don't show favoritism to your kids. Treat them all equally. But is that all that's here? No. There's much more here. Because what about those of us who've already grown up and moved out of our families and we're still screwed up? We're still messed up and we struggle with our walk with the Lord, right? What about us who whose parents were just as dysfunctional as Isaac and Rebecca, and I'm 25, 35, 45, 85. What about us? And secondly, what about those of us who had good parents, who raised us in the Lord, taught us all the good things, and we're still messed up, still masquerading, still covering up, still afraid to have people see who we are. We're desperate, going around like little children. Bless me. And so I dress up like a great banker, engineer, lawyer, doctor, nurse, teacher, mom. Inside, we're like a kid saying, bless me too, please. Why do we do that? Because there's a spiritual problem here, ladies and gentlemen. The solution is hinted at by what Isaac says at the very end. Verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? So it dawns on him that this is Jacob. And he says, I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And verse 33b says, Yes, and he shall be blessed. That word, yes, you know, he goes, yeah, I can't believe he did it. I can't believe he came in, that deceiver, and stole your blessing. But he's saying two things here, and it's just a hint, but I believe it's pointing us in the right direction. First, Isaac is realizing that God will work through unworthy people begins to realize that this is what God does. God works through and brings his grace into the lives of unworthy and flawed people. Of Esau and Jacob, there's no doubt who's more likable. The storyteller himself likes Esau more. Okay? Therefore, Isaac is finding God's grace is working against even the tastes of the narrator, there's, there's almost something about Jacob, there's almost nothing about Jacob that's appealing. I mean, Abraham had some good chapters, right? He had some mountaintops faithfulness to God, he had some valleys too, but he finished strong. Isaac, you know, he, he had some mountaintop experiences and, and some valleys as well, but, but, but he's finishing strong, Right? Uh, You know, there's absolutely nothing good in any good chapters what we're going to see about Jacob for the rest of Genesis for the most part. He's always wrestling for a blessing. In a way, he's the weirdest person possible for God to choose, and yet he becomes Israel. See, the moral of the story is not if you have a great family, God will work in and through your family. And if you have a bad family, then God, the things will go wrong for you. God won't bless you. Because that's not true. God is coming and blessing the most screwed up member of this entire family. <laughs> Why? Because the moral of the story is God brings his scandalous intervening grace into the lives of people who don't deserve it, continually resist it, don't ever appreciate it, after they've been saved by it, over and over and over again. And so the first thing Isaac gets a grip on, and the first thing that you and I need to get a grip on, is we're going to deal with our problem of blessing, is when God works sheerly through His grace. Forget about trying to earn it. Forget about... Claiming you're a Christian on your terms. It's God's terms that you're a Christian. Not your own. It doesn't work. And when you try to live that way, it's so unsatisfying. Secondly, when Isaac says, yes, and he shall be blessed, he's not only saying God is going to do this, he's also saying, I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to call him back in here and take it back. I'm not going to resist it. In fact, Derek Kidner, that great Old Testament scholar, says, When Isaac says, yes, and he shall be blessed, Isaac is expressing more than mere belief that the spoken word is self-fulfilling. He knows he's been fighting against God, and he accepts defeat. Because he has been fighting against God, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau's entire life. Because he heard... What the Lord said to Rebecca. Rebecca came back to him, all pregnant, having those two wrestle in the womb together. She heard God say, "The older will serve the younger." And Isaac has been fighting that those, these boys' entire lives, and he wants to live the life unto the Lord his way, not God's way. He wanted to do. He wanted. The man's man, not the other one. He realized he's been resisting the whole approach of God's grace. He doesn't want the failed one, he doesn't want the marginal one. We do that, don't we? Oh, we American Christians do it all the time. You know? I'm a Christian, but I haven't read the Bible in a couple years. You know, I, I, I'm not much of a praying man, but, you know, I believe it. You know, I try to make it to the assembly on the Lord's day, but, you know, I'm busy. I got, I got things to do. My kids got things to do. And what we do when we do all these things, we treat God as if he's an option. I got news for you, friends. God one day will not be an option for any of us. And he's coming to us now and saying, I'm not an option now. I love you with an everlasting love. When we make God an option after he's made us a priority, you know, we go to work, that's not an option. We, we make our kids go to school, that's not an option. Why do we treat our relationship with the Lord, the relationship with one another, if it's an option And for us, like some, like Isaac, it's time to surrender. Living unto God, under his agenda, not ours. So Isaac says, not only do I see God as a God of grace, I also, starting right now, accept and rest in that grace by myself, and I surrender my resistance to him. His ways, not mine. How do we do that? How do you get the blessing by accepting God's grace? Because Jacob, trying to manipulate it, said, I am your firstborn. But he was wrong. How do we do we do this? The Bible tells us Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn from the dead. He's the only begotten Son of the Father. What that means is Jesus Christ lived through all eternity in a state of firstborn blessing with the Heavenly Father. The father, who's the ultimate person, doted on him and poured love into his heart. And if you're a parent, you know what this is like. You remember when your babies were young? You'd walk into the nursery, and you'd see your beautiful babies sleeping soundly, and you would just stare, right? We all did it. Some of you are doing it now. And you want the joy of this child. You love the child so much. And you walk out of the room, but you don't want to. You want to kind of stay. you actually start to ache when you leave. How sweet that is. It's strange, isn't it? That must be the dimmest hint of what the Heavenly Father saw in the Son from all eternity. For Jesus left the firstborn blessing. He comes to earth and he dies upon the cross. And what's he doing upon the cross? He prays. And as he prays, he doesn't pray, Abba, Father. He doesn't pray, Heavenly Father. He says, My God. Why? Because he lost the firstborn. All the firstborn blessings of this life are gone from him. And Paul says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus dressed up like us and got the curse we deserve so that when we trust in him, we can be clothed like him. Firstborn blessing forevermore. The way of salvation through our own efforts, when we dress up before God and say, yeah, I'm pretty good. I've sinned here, but you know, really, I'm pretty good. It ain't going to work, folks. It never has and never will. You're dressing up for God and hoping God will somehow bless you. It does not work. In God's presence, you're going to be every bit as nervous as Jacob was, as Jacob was scared to death. He asks himself to Rebecca, what have I found out? What if he finds out what's real? He knows what's real, believe me. The way of the gospel is Jesus Christ dressed up as you to get the curse that you deserve so that when you trust in him, God now accepts you as if you'd done everything Jesus had done. After all, Jesus had been treated as if he'd done everything I'd done. So when I believe in him, I'm treated with and This is hard to believe. I get the firstborn blessing. How is that true? I mean, how do you have thousands and millions and billions of firstborns. Well, in God's kingdom, it's possible. Why? Hebrews 12, 23. It says, the church is the church of the firstborn. Because in God's family, it's possible for us all to be the firstborn. And what this is telling us is the love that you experience from the Father when you stand in the work of Christ's righteousness makes it feel like you're the only one in the world. God looks at you and says, there's no one like you. I'm particularly fond of you. I created you. I delight in you. Walk in me and be blessed. When you have that blessing and you know it, when you see Jesus losing the blessing of the firstborn so that you can have it, so you can dress up like him, and when you, he's, you see the one who, who really did what Rebecca said she would do. Remember what she said? She said, my son, may the curse be upon me so you can get the blessing. She didn't even know what she was saying. But Jesus graciously does it. He says, I'm going to take the curse upon me. He's the true Rebecca. I'm going to take your curse on me so you can have the firstborn blessing of the Father. And finally, because we have the firstborn blessing of the Father we can go forth and be blessing to others. Because, you know, we are called to do that. Genesis 12, I bless. I only bless you to make you a blessing. The Bible says that we're to be people of blessing and not cursing. You know, and I have to tell you, as a teenager, you know, all the teachers loved me. All, I had many friends throughout this large school. I was, I was popular. I was so nice, because I would give people compliments, didn't matter whether they were a freak, you know, smoking weed behind the school, or whether they were a a jock who I deeply admired, I, I had, I didn't have very many enemies, but I have to tell you, I didn't do it, because I wanted to, I just wanted them to like me, that's not blessing them, that's using them, I came to realize And when you yourself have a hole inside of you, because this was pre-me coming to faith in Jesus Christ, all the nice things you say are really not blessing. You're not really seeing who they are, discerning who they are, and how they should be in Christ down the road. So God blesses you, and then we can move out and bless others because of the blessing we've received from Him. So start right in your homes. Husbands, wives... If your parents are still alive, go bless them as well. Be a blessing to mom and dad. Bless your children. Children, bless your parents. And then let's move out. And that's important, that you move out from your family. Some families become so insular because they've never moved out of their neighborhood. You might be living in the same neighborhood you grew up in, right? You know, I've never lived in the same neighborhood I grew up in. I know what it's like to be the outsider For years, okay? Move out, because God wants to use you to be a blessing, because you're part of the firstborn. If you've truly received Jesus, blessed on the inside, you can ask God to help you with everyone you run across. So let us go and be a blessing to the world, because 1 John 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let us pray. Lord, we pray you would make us a people who bless, because we have experienced the blessing of the firstborn. We don't want to be like Jacob. We want to be blessed so we're able to let people know who we are. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to be afraid of letting them know who we are, and we commit our faults, We can accept our criticism. We can show who we are because we have been blessed in you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, you would give us that kind of power, that kind of love, and that kind of peace. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen.